Yes. Let's open God's word together, friends. It is so good to worship with you today and to walk through God's word with you in this moment. My name is Josh. I'm one of your pastors. And this is part five of this series we're in called The Far From Perfect Family. And uh, there's a lot I want to recap for you if you are new here today. Simply don't have the time to do that. So as always, you can find the previous sermons on our YouTube uh, channel as well as our website, gracepointtopeka.org. So if you want to catch up, um, because maybe some of what I'm talking about today may not make a ton of sense or I'm building on what's been shared before. You can always go back and listen or watch those messages. But last week, I felt, not that Pastor Tim needs my approval, but I felt like he did a really fantastic job of describing the layers of hurt lying underneath the surface of Jacob's family. Did you feel that? Yeah, layers and layers, decades of hurt building up in Jacob's family. And one of the main points from last week was a cautionary point. It's that hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt other people, whether they intend to or not. And what we have here is a case where Joseph's brothers were desperate for their father's affection. But it also looks like that Jacob uh, did not have the same kind of affection for all of his sons in the same way. He uh, had special affection and admiration for his son Joseph, who was the love of his life, Rachel, her firstborn son. And, And he seems to be withholding love from the other sons that they desperately want. And because of that, at least the way I see it, in some part, that lack of acceptance from their father reinforced a lie that they began to believe. And that was that they were not already loved and blessed by God. They believed this lie that because they did not have their father's love, that they were unlovable. They were unblessed, right? Joseph is the brother who got the coat. He's the one that got the gift, and they did not. And so seeing Joseph wearing this coat, he's the, one of the younger brothers, 17 years old, when he gets this gift, and we, those brothers are reminded day in and day out that they are also Rands. Any Andrew Lloyd Webber fans, yeah. right? Being right, you know the you know the song. Seeing the also rans does not make us Joseph fans. I got like two people in here who know what I'm talking about. Your homework this week, for real, is to watch or listen to the musical right about being second place. They're second class, and they're angry. They're hurt. They're broken. And so the invitation last week in part was for us to consider the ways in which we feel like at times God is withholding blessing. Somebody else got the coat. I didn't get the coat. How come they're blessed by God and I'm not blessed by God? In other words, when, when do you blame God for the coat or the blessing that you didn't get? And so I'm listening to the message with all of you. I'm sitting in the seat, listening, preparing to to speak today. And I'm considering this very carefully. Because from the brother's perspective, the coat is this constant reminder of hurt. But for Joseph, it's another perspective, right? It's another angle on the coat. 
And in that moment, as I'm listening to Pastor Tim's word, a thought gently pushed its way into the forefront of my mind, and I heard an invitation given. And that invitation was simply this, Josh, the coat can also be a reminder of whose love you're wrapped in. You're wrapped in my love. And this is the thought that's at the heart of today's message because we're going to pick up in Genesis 39 where we left off last week and the story has shifted from Jacob and the sons now solely to Joseph and what happens after the coat. And so Joseph is now in Egypt in Genesis 39, you follow along, you follow, I'll open your Bibles, I encourage you to do that, read along with me. Um, I want you to consider this question right now. And the question is simply this, how does Joseph's story help me to trust that God is holding me in his love? How does Joseph's story help me trust that God is holding me in his love. Right? Got it? Good. Here we go. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. We need to stop. Joseph's brothers planned to kill him. They were going to murder him and, and then conspire together to cover it up. They ended up not doing that. Instead, they bound him, threw him in a well, and then later sold him to nomadic Midianites passing by the area. Right? So they sold their brother into slavery. You think your family's bad. Right? They sold their brother into slavery. And the Midianites travel at least 250 miles from Mamre, the, the trees of Mamre where Isaac and Jacob lived, to Egypt. And we see here then an Egyptian named Potiphar purchased Joseph. Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards. He's the one who bought him. And what comes next, if that isn't enough, what comes next is really interesting. And sometimes we kind of read so fast, we miss it. So I want to slow down, pay attention for a moment, and see what we, let's just make an observation here as to what comes next. It's simply this, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Too often we're focused on the result, but what's the significant detail that we miss? The Lord was with him. It says it twice. The Lord was still with Joseph. The Lord is right there in the middle of Egypt, in the middle of Potiphar's house. Joseph, a slave in a foreign land, and the Lord is with him. God is doing life with Joseph. It's been some time, but a friend asked me a tough question. He asked, what's the one thing you most want your kids to know if you could only tell them one thing about God? What's the one thing you hope they never forget? I invite you to consider that today. What's the one thing that if you had to tell someone about God and it was only one thing, what would you say? 
And I had thought about this and thought about this, and it wasn't an easy answer to, to, to uh, wasn't an easy answer to come up with. But I said, I want my kids to know this right here, that the Lord is with you. God does life with you, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. He's right there in the middle of the mess and the stress with you, just as much as he is in the middle of it with you when life is going well. When you're working long hours, you're bone tired, and you have nothing left to give emotionally to the people who need it most, the Lord is with you. When you get the results from the doctor's office that crushes your soul, the Lord is with you. When you're studying for a really tough exam, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you all the time. There's never not a time when the Lord is not with you. He's always with you. And because the Lord was with Joseph, Potiphar notices this. And so what does he do? He puts them in charge of his whole house. He left all, everything that he owned under Joseph's authority, under his care. Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. How nice for Potiphar. <laughs> right? The Lord is with Joseph and Potiphar receives the blessing in this. And they all, Joseph, right? Joseph lived happily ever after after this, right? Well, if you know the story, you know that's not true. If only that were the case. You see, Potiphar... He's not the only one taking notice of Joseph. The text says, Joseph, you know, he's a Hebrew slave. He does not look Egyptian. Joseph is a handsome, strapping young man. He's hardworking, and he's a servant leader, just like me. It's good. Every day, every day. He's probably the first one up, the last one to bed, working 12-hour shifts, seven days a week, maybe more. Joseph is hustling. He is working hard. He is making sure that everything is running smoothly now around the house while his master is off to work doing what? Captaining Pharaoh's guards. He's the man. He's captaining Pharaoh's personal secret service. There's a problem. What's the problem? Mrs. Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar's the problem. We don't know if she was lonely. We don't know if she was unnoticed. We don't know if she was underappreciated. She comes off a little desperate, though. Right? She comes off a little desperate. But what we know, we do know this. We know that Joseph catches her attention. And well, she wants some of that. She's turned on. And so day after day, she tries to get Joseph's attention. Day after day. She wants to get her hands on Joseph. 
And this goes on, this little game of cat and mouse, this goes on long enough where eventually Joseph simply cannot take it anymore. Look, he says to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. He has put all he owns under my authority. And here's how you know Joseph is still probably a teenager. He, no one in this house is greater than I am. <laughs> including you, Mrs. P. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? And how could I sin against God? Life has a lot of tests, doesn't it? This looks like a life test to me. Does it look that way to you? A life test. So what's Joseph going to do in this situation? He, we know that he believed uh, that betraying her ma- uh, his master, her husband, would be an offense against not only him, but God himself. But that didn't seem to stop Mrs. P. No, not at one bit. In fact, she was, she was going to catch her little Hebrew mouse, and she almost did, right? We read on. She had motive. She had an opportunity because one day no one is at the house. It's just Joseph and it's just her, and she took it. She grabs Joseph by his clothes. And somehow, the little Hebrew kid manages to wiggle himself free from her clutches. And he wiggles himself completely out of his clothes and runs out the door. Right? Clothes are still in her hands. Read the text. What does that mean? He has no clothes on. (laughs) And by this... By this action, Mrs. P is deeply humiliated. So what does she do? She fabricates a story. Sound familiar? She fabricates a story, explaining to her husband that while everyone was gone, today Joseph made a fool of us by attempting to assault me. He assaulted me while you were away. You should have been here. It was horrible. And the husband, as you can imagine, believes her. And this does not sit well with him. So off to prison goes Joe. Listen. Here's what I think when it comes to life tests. Everything we do, everything that happens, is an exercise of trust. It's an exercise of trust. You can put your full faith and trust in the Lord and still land in a tough spot. Why? Because the outcomes are not left to us. 
You and I do not have control over the outcomes in this deal. Only God does. Only God knows the bigger picture. All we can do is put trust in him, the one who knows the outcomes, believing that he is working in our lives for good purposes. Sounds easy, it's not. God is working in our lives for good. You know, sometimes we read stories like Jacob and his sons and the story of Joseph, Joseph, and we run into a little bit of trouble seeing the forest through the trees, right? We have a hard time grasping onto this reality, this bigger picture, something that is much bigger than us. And so we, we don't have a big picture perspective on our own lives because we're faced with real trials. We're faced with real hardship, real circumstances that are painful. Trials like cancer, or a ruined relationship, burnout, dreading a job, you know, dreading a job that you hate. Go to work every day, hating where you are. And so part of the story of Joseph is an invitation to try to see the bigger picture here. And part of that bigger picture, I think, is try to imagine, imagine seeing your life in, in, uh, from a distance, like God, with God's eyes. And I hope that we would see, if we can do this, and if you've never considered this before, then this is your invitation for today, that Joseph's story, his life, is a school for the Lord to teach him. Because we know how the story ends, if you're familiar with it, but Joseph doesn't. Joseph doesn't know when in Egypt and, and then later in prison how the story is going to end. He has no idea. Can the Lord be trusted with the mess that Joseph's in? Will Joseph fall into doubt, despair, or give up on God? Right? Will he do that? Has, has God given up on Joseph now that he's in Egypt and then in prison? Things do not look good for Joseph. Not getting better anytime soon. These are the big questions that we have to wrestle with in times like this. In his story, Joseph's story is just one story of countless stories in Scripture to help us learn from. The Bible is 1,189 chapters, and those chapters are filled with stories of imperfect men, women, families, tribes, even nations learning to trust God. All of life, friends, all of life is a school for learning. You may not have liked high school. You may have dreaded going to high school when you were younger, but just because you graduated from high school and you have a diploma in your hand doesn't mean that the learning has stopped. All of life is a school for learning to trust the Lord to teach us. And so I'd say it this way, make it personal. My life is a school for the Lord to teach me. My life is a school for the Lord to teach me. If you're married or engaged, congratulations, you're enrolled now in the school of marriage. You will spend the rest of your life learning how to love your spouse well, right? If you're single, 
you are enrolled in the school of singleness with Jesus. He has a lot to teach you about being single. He was single, by the way. If you're a parent, congratulations, you're enrolled in a lifetime of learning, being a parent, right? Every year, there's a new lesson to learn. Every year, they get one year older. If you're a business owner or you're an employee for someone, you're enrolled in a school too. And if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, then guess what? You're enrolled in the best school ever. You have the master teacher of life teaching you how to live your life as a Christian as if he himself were living your life. And if that's not great news, here's even better news. If you're in Christ, then Christ is actually in you. Christ actually lives in you, not theoretically in you, not creatively or imaginatively in you. He actually inhabits your space, your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit. He is with you right in the middle of your mess and your stress. And we know that God doesn't give us a map for life, right? We know there's a map. We don't know what it is. We know the destination for those who are in Christ. You know that eternity with God in heaven is your destination, but only God knows the journey that your life is going to take. God doesn't give us a map. He gives us a guide. The guide is Holy Spirit who inhabits this space that's in us. Holy Spirit helps us to learn how to trust God in each and every circumstance, in every life test we face. So can you, can you trust the Lord is with you right now in the middle of whatever mess or stress you're facing? Are you willing to risk pressing in, leaning in, falling in to your Father's arms, Trusting him with what's going on in your life. Maybe this week you need to talk to him. Talk to him about your grief. Talk to him about your losses. Talk to him about your pain or your suffering. Share that with him and trust that he knows and he is doing something with that. You know, it's a lie. It's a lie to believe that God doesn't really love you because if he did care about you, you wouldn't be in this mess you're in. That's simply, right, not true. Sometimes trusting God, knowing that he is with us, does still land us in a tough spot. My life is a school for the Lord to teach me. Your life is a school for the Lord to teach you. So no matter what circumstances you're facing today, a crummy marriage, a rough school, a terrible job, a boss that you hate, or, you know, whatever whatever it might be, there are far worse things. God uses those circumstances for his purposes. And one of his main goals is to teach us to trust him. Just as he was with Joseph 
The Lord was with Joseph, and he was teaching Joseph during this time. How can we know this? How can this be? Because God tells us in what happens next. While Joseph is sitting in jail, we come across this. The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the warden, prison warden. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord made everything he did successful. Almost word for word, beginning and end of chapter 39, the same way, right? The Lord is with Joseph. And someone benefits uh, from the Lord being with Joseph. Again, that's not the point. Even though Joseph has a thriving prison ministry at this point, um, that's not the point. The success isn't the point. The point is that the Lord is still with Joseph. And I want to point out a word in this text that you know, but you don't know. And that is that, jo- that the Lord extended kindness to Joseph. Kindness. Circle it, star it, underline it, highlight it, write it down. Your translation may say mercy, or uh, it may have another word like loving kindness. Um, There's a lot of translations that are good, but words like kindness and mercy simply do not capture the richness and the depth and the true spirit of what is being communicated here. And sometimes, this happens a lot in language translation, is English just falls flat. Hebrew language has about 4,000 words. The English language has 300,000 words. So sometimes Hebrew words are densely packed with meaning. You've encountered this before, like with the word shalom. It means a lot of things. And oftentimes it means all of those things at the same time. But in English, we don't do that. We like to have particular words that mean particular things. And in this case, the word kindness is the word hesed. Chesed. It's a unique word. It's, it's, it happens 200, it appears 248 times in the Old Testament alone. And if you want to Google it, Google as well H2617, along with the word Chesed, and you will find, uh, through your internet search, all 248 appearances of this word. It means mercy, kindness, faithful love, kind, uh, loving kindness, Um, This this word hesed is not the typical word for love in the Old Testament. We know the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's Deuteronomy 6.5 that Jesus is quoting. It is not hesed. Do not hesed the Lord your God with all of your heart. It is ahava, different word, different meaning. Ahava and Hesed are not the same. Similar, but not the same. And so we have uh, some other appearances of this idea, not only the word, but the expression of Hesed in Scripture. Here are a few. You should know this one, Psalm 118.1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His Hesed endures forever. Right? His Hesed is eternal. It's everlasting. It's unending. God's love or his hesed never ends. Or Exodus 34, 
Here in this passage, the Lord is revealing himself in power to Moses, and he's telling Moses what he's actually like. And, and so the Lord is quoting, he's saying his name in the third person, the Lord, the Lord, that's Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in hesed and faithfulness. The Lord is hesed. He says he is hesed. Some of you might have this as a tattoo. Micah 6.8, popular verse. He has shown you, O human, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love. It's not love, but in this case, the word mercy. Love mercy, love hesed and walk humbly with your God. I don't have a slide for it, but there's another one, Psalm 23, just off the top of my head. Psalm 23, verse 6, the Lord is my shepherd, you know that one. At the end of it, surely goodness and hesed will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And a couple of weeks ago, we encountered this one in the story of Jacob greeting, reuniting with his brother Esau, right? He extends this parade of his family members ahead of him, and he remains behind. He's in the caboose of the parade because he's not sure if his brother Esau is going to wipe out his entire family before him, right? And so he stays behind at the end of the parade, and he prays to God, and he says, I am unworthy of the chesed and faithfulness you have shown your servant. He's talking about himself. So we've seen this already at play in this series. And so those are just a few of the 248 examples we have, but it doesn't end there. No, there's, wait, there's more, right? The New Testament too, we get expressions of chesed everywhere. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Romans 8, Colossians 3, John 15, abide in me. Right, Jesus says, abide in me. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come to me. Take on my yoke and learn from me, Jesus says. Ephesians, uh, basically the whole book, one, two, three, four, five, and six. The whole book is a book, it's, it's, a, it's a teaching on chesed. And so it's everywhere in the New Testament as well. And it's a little bit hard to define Right? As you noticed, I haven't defined chesed for you yet. But if I were to try, this is what I would say. God's chesed is his loyal love that sticks like glue. It's God's sticky love. There is no escaping it. You can't get away from it. Uh, it, it it's always with you. As much as you don't want it to be at times, it's, it's there. And interestingly enough, a psychologist... Uh, that I appreciate, um, an author of numerous books on this topic. Um, it, we're seeing now a new field emerge. It's a field of neurotheology. That's sort of the intersection of where theology meets brain science. Super fascinating. One day I hope to grow up and become a neurotheologian because I think that would be pretty cool. Um, and, and, and so in this field of neurotheology, Dr. Wilder has said, uh, done a lot of work on Hesed in psychology. And he says that Hesed carries a sense of enduring connection 
that brings life and all good things into relationship. Hesed is a kind of loyal care for the well-being of another. In other words, here it is, hesed is attachment. And I know, might not know what that means, but the simplest example I can give you is when a child is born. Attachment is formed in the womb between a mother and a child. When the child is born, then the child relies on the mother relationship, right, to form a bond. That's chesed, attachment. That's how God feels about us. It's the relational glue that holds and sustains all life-giving relationships, right? Including the one between the divine and us. And according to his research, Dr. Wilder says that attachment is not an emotion. It's not an emotional condition. It is a precondition that is deeper at a soul-like level. And it's the best word. Attachment is the best word that psychologists can come up with for describing this glue that holds people together. My life is a school for the Lord to teach me his loyal love that sticks like glue. You with me? So Joseph is in prison. God is with him. The Lord has extended hesed to him, and the story continues. Eventually, Joseph gets out of prison. Pharaoh has some nightmares that are bothering him. Wants to know what the dreams mean. No one knows, except then someone remembers. There is a Hebrew slave locked away in one of your prisons. He knows I bet he knows. Let's ask him to interpret your dreams. And so the Pharaoh calls for Joseph, right? He's brought out of prison. And basically, Joseph informs the king that, that, that God himself is communicating to the king, letting him know what's going to happen over the next 14 years. So we don't know how long Joseph was in prison, but we know that now he is no longer a 17-year-old at home. We know that many years have passed, especially with the first, when Joseph says, your first dream, king, is really the second dream, too. They're both one and the same, just different. Uh, just, a, just a different scene is playing itself out here. And what you'll have is seven years of feasting, followed by seven years of intense famine. And the famine is going to be so bad that no one is even going to remember the seven good years that we had and so, you know, summarize it, seven years of plump followed by seven years of slump. And, and so Joseph tells the king what his dreams mean. And I'm cutting out a lot, but you know, Pharaoh, he's the man. He's a god. There is no one greater in Egypt than Pharaoh. He's the founder, president, he's the CEO of Egypt Enterprises. And he is delighted that someone could interpret his dreams for him. He's delighted by Joseph's interpretation. And he's so pleased with Joseph's business proposal that he promotes Joseph, right, from the prison. Like, Joseph's not even in the mail room. He's in the, he's in the basement, in the dungeon beneath. He's in the storeroom 
uh, of Egypt Enterprises. And he's promoted to vice president of food distribution and granaries. How cool is that, right? That's my term, by the way. You won't find that in the Bible. But, but he's promoted to vice president. And you have to wonder, right? Joseph is no longer 17 years old. He's in his mid-20s by the, by the time, you know, the seven-year cycle begins of this, uh, this whole ordeal. So he's in his mid to late 20s, perhaps. And let's, you know, what do you think? Do you think Joseph has matured a little bit over the years? You think he's grown up emotionally, spiritually, relationally, professionally? I do. I think he's grown up a lot. He faced all this on his own. He was by himself. And I think he grew up a lot. I think the vice president, Joseph, is a very different person than the 17-year-old Joe in dad's house. Joseph's life is a school for God to teach him, to grow him, to mature him. Just as much as your life is a school for the Lord to teach you, to trust that he is right there in the middle of the mess. Jesus is our master teacher in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he is available to anyone who is willing to learn from him. So what if, what if in all of this, what if through stories like Joseph's or what if, uh, what if through our faith in Christ, God is revealing his true heart? A heart that says, what if I showed them, that's you, what if I showed them that no matter how messed up they are, how difficult, depressed, lonely, isolated, no matter how awful their circumstances, I'm right there too. What if they realized that because of my sticky love, my chesed, I will never give up on them? Paul writes about sticky love in Ephesians 3, all right? He writes about chesed, its expression in Ephesians 3, and this is how I want to close with this benediction. And I'm going to make it really obvious to you because I'm going to smile like this. (laughs) Paul writes this. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width, the height and the depth of God's love for you. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. It's incomprehensible. So that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Amen. Hope you come back next week as we wrap up this series. We're really looking forward to it. Look forward to seeing you. God bless you. Have a good week. You're dismissed.